couple of things to say. Uh, as if you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6, Matthew 6, found on page 811 in your Bible. I, we just sang a song by Wendell Kimbrough. Wendell's father is a PCA pastor. He has been in our church before. And on the last Saturday in the month of April, the last weekend, we are celebrating RUF's 50th anniversary. And uh, we're going to have a concert that Saturday night. Uh, Wendell's going to be here and Sandra McCracken is going to be here. And so I'm not sure, John, do you have, what's, somebody have their phone what what is that last Saturday in April? I think it's it the twenty ninth, John. See, twenty ninth. Yes, uh, if y'all can, I would strongly encourage you to to mark that down. Uh, we're gonna again be celebrating RUF. RUF was started at University of Southern Mississippi. Uh, really, it came out of Westminster Fellowship, and. Uh, a ministry that is spread across this nation and even this world uh, started right here in Hattiesburg. And so lots of people are coming back and uh, that's going to be a great weekend. I hope uh, you'll make plans uh, somehow to be here and be a part of the, the celebration and uh, the um, just the majesty and the encouragement that, that we have. Uh, I was also... Reminded of, of Davis's wonderful sermon this morning as he was preaching through First uh, Peter chapter two, that uh, we as Christians um, have a, a conduct to to follow or to live out because we have new life. And tonight, as I, I preach this, um, I'm, I'm thinking of myself, and if, if you can find yourself in this as well, I, I realize who I'm preaching to. And uh, usually when I, I preach on Sunday nights, unless we have a specific topic, I'm usually looking for something that I feel like I need. So I hope nobody here tonight will feel that I am uh, accusing or or saying you don't have the conduct that you should what I am saying is this is what I need and if you can come alongside and say maybe I can find something there with for me as well that that would be a blessing uh, I appreciate the opportunity to come tonight but again I know I know who I'm preaching to and uh, I'm sometimes um, humbled and uh, feel like I don't know if I should be up here when I face y'all, but um, I hope that tonight, uh, as God speaks um, to me and through me, that you will be encouraged. So that's my prayer. The Sermon on the Mount, this is the second chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. Again, I almost hesitate, but ah, I need it. So... Uh, it's the middle chapter, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7 of Matthew is the Sermon on the Mount. And it's Matthew 8 and 5 and Luke 7, 1 indicate that Capernaum is the nearest town and Jesus was likely in a natural amphitheater 
to proclaim his message to the crowd. And the Sermon on the Mount can be probably summed up like this. Life in God's kingdom is very different from life in the world. Life in God's kingdom is very different than life in the world. And we know that today. If you're going to be a Christian, it's going to be radical. It's going to be different from what we see out, I would say, on Hardy Street. Let's, let's read God's word. Starting in Matthew 6, verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 18. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that giving so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you and when you pray you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others truly I say to you they have received their reward but when you pray go into your room shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you and when you pray do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do for they think they will be heard for the many words do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him pray then like this our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you <coughs> but if you do not forgive others their trespasses neither will your father forgive your trespasses and when you fast do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of God, infallible and errant breathed out pray with me (coughs) heavenly father we thank you that you moved prophets and apostles and you spoke through them and now father i ask that you would speak uh, through this servant who stands before this congregation of people that love you Father, if there's anything that I'm about to say that is not according to your word, not according to your will, please remove it from our hearts. But Father, if there is something that you would have us to know deep in our soul, drive it deep. And Father, may we be changed and may we be more like Jesus 
And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In Matthew 6, Jesus begins to contrast true kingdom ethics and heartfelt devotion to God with the very core of works righteousness and legalism the Jewish religious leaders taught and practiced during the first century. And the issues of this chapter is to be kingdom-promoting, not self-promoting. Kingdom-promoting, not self-promoting. Jesus points out in our 18 verses uh, three areas of, of righteousness, of piety, devotion to God that are listening. If you're taking notes, it is this. Number one, giving, verses 1 through 4. Praying, verses 5 through 15. Fasting, verses 16 through 18. Uh, Michael Lewis in 2003 wrote a book called Moneyball. And uh, a movie was made in 2011 for you ladies starring Brad Pitt. So if you haven't seen it, if you love Brad Pitt, go watch it. It's a good movie, by the way. And uh, the book was about the unorthodox method of viewing baseball and selecting baseball players by a guy named Billy Bean who was the general manager of the Oakland Athletics and sabermetrics was introduced in its uh, analysis of baseball um, especially using statistics in measuring in-game activities and the book in the movie portray Billy Bean who grasped this way of, of looking at players because he was in a small market of Oakland. Oakland Athletics or the Oakland A's had like the third lowest payroll. And they were playing against teams like the Yankees and, and Boston and, and Chicago had all this money to spend. And he lost some players and he was trying to figure out how to replace their production. And he came upon this, this view about how to score more runs than the other team because that's what baseball is about. The end of the game, it's how many runs have you scored? And so he's promoting this new way of viewing and selecting baseball players to replace his stars that have signed both of them with uh, the New York Yankees. And at one point in the, the movie, it, sh it shows him in a meeting room with the uh, the scouts, his scouting department, and they are at odds because they're telling him, hey, Billy, this is the way you have to scout, and this is the way that you have to choose players. You have to look at them and see how they hit, run, and throw, what kind of power they have, and then you have to project what you think they're going to, what kind of player they're going to turn into. And, and Billy was saying, no. We have these statistics that we can look at at current players, and these are the ones that we have to look at and we have to select to replace all our stars. And, of course, uh, if, you, if you know anything about um, the movie or the, the book, um, he, he ends up having to fire a couple of scouts because they say, this is never going to work. This goes against the flow of traditional baseball and he says, so be it. And they walk out. And uh, in the movie, 
But I don't think in the book you, you see the manager always pushing back, saying, this is not going to work, this is not going to work. At the end, cut to the chase. In 2003, they win their division, and they win more games in a row than anybody else had ever won, 21 games. And his view radically changes baseball, and it still changes it today. And, and what I'm, hopefully this is a good analogy, and if you came to the 140th anniversary, you know that uh, Roy Taylor said I always used uh, all my illustrations out of Sports Illustrator history. And I apologize, ladies, but unless you like baseball tonight. But Jesus is confronting the Pharisees. And what he's saying in the Sermon on the Mount is like what Billy Bean was saying to these scouts. It is radical. It's in their face. And it's not something that they were believing or teaching as a way to please God. And as we read this, the Lord is teaching us if people are willing to give up their lives for Christ, they're going to find true joy and true liberation and true power in dying to self for the glory of Jesus Christ. It's not checking the box about how many good things you do. It's not checking the box by how many times you show up at church or Sunday night, which is great. I'm not saying don't come. But what Jesus is really talking about is relationship versus rules. And the verses that we have just read, by the way, Jesus is not putting down giving, praying, fasting. In fact, he's lifting them up to a higher standard. That's what he's going to do. And what I'd like for you to do in the remaining minutes that we have, if you, if you want to, if you have that handout, if you want to draw, if you're, I, I would suggest you, you draw a line right down the middle of a sheet. And I'm going to give you three, three motivations. Three motivations for pleasing man. Three motivations for pleasing God. And we're going to go through this for these verses you drew a line on the left, put three motivations to please man. And number one is, I am motivated by what people think of me. In the church, work in the church, I am motivated by what people think of me. Number two, I am motivated to do the things I do in such a way that people will see me. And then three, I am motivated to do the things in such a way to get man's approval and man's reward. On the other side of this line that you have drawn down, motivation to please God. Number one, I am motivated by what God thinks of me. Number two, I am motivated to do things in such a way that only God sees me. And number three, I am motivated to do things in such a way to get God's approval and God's reward. Again, let us remember that Jesus is affirming the acts of giving, praying, and fasting. Let's look at giving, verses 1 through 4. You don't have to turn to this passage, but I'm going to read it to you, and it has, it bears. And this is from Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. And he, this is Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people came and put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, 
which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had and all she had to live on. And if you go back to what Jesus just said in the Sermon on the Mount, when it says in verse 2, And when they... When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. If you go back, we're looking at Mark. There was an outer court of the temple that people went into, the court of women. And there were these boxes that were put out. And they were for offering boxes. So evidently, as we put these two together, rich people would come. And they would have somebody blow a trumpet to get people's attention. Why? So the people could see them putting money into the offering box. And evidently Jesus and the disciples were hanging out and he was just watching. And he sees this maybe a few times somehow. But anyway, he sees people dumping a lot of money into the offering box. Kind of like my son sometimes when he has a bunch of quarters. He just drops them and you'll hear them over there. And then he sees a little lady, a widow, unnoticed certainly by his disciples because he's got to draw attention to this lady, to his disciples. Hey, you guys, look at her. And he sees her put in two little copper coins which make really less than one cent. And he says, you see this lady? You see this widow? She put in more than all these rich guys did. She, they gave out of their abundance and she gave everything that she had for God's sake. Now, again, if you go back, what is the motivation for the people that Jesus is really talking about here in chapter 6 and giving? And we see in Mark an example. They, they wanted to be looked at as religious. And again, Jesus is not saying these, these people are wrong in giving the money. What he's saying is, their motivation in their hearts. Their motivation in their hearts was they wanted to be seen by people. And they wanted to be rewarded by what man thought of them. And God says their reward that they receive by people saying, I am so impressed, they get it. But this widow, when she gives, nobody notices except who? Jesus and God. And Jesus commends her. And even today, we're talking about her. And she has been spoken about as long as the scriptures have been written, which we don't know anything about the other rich people that gave the money. But we talk about the widow's might. We know what she did. And I believe when we get to heaven, she's probably going to be much closer than most of us are going to be in our mansions. Because she had a heart and a desire to please God and she didn't care if anybody knew or didn't know because she probably knew people weren't watching her love for God was the thing that drove her she gave out of her love application now everyone that gives in this church I want you to know something there's not a deacon or an elder or a pastor who knows what you give now 
maybe the deacons, we have always have two deacons that count the money. If you write a check on Sunday morning, they might see it occasionally when they have duty. But on a whole, nobody, no elder, no deacon, no pastor knows what anybody gives in this church. The people that do know are not members of this church and they never will be members. That's the rules that the elders have set. The people that know and count the money are not members of this church. I had somebody mention it today. Their fear of, what about if people with the wealthy people leave our church? Will we have any money coming in? I said, I don't know. But I have a feeling that God is going to support this church by his people. And I'm not worried one bit. And neither should you. Number two. There's the idea of not letting your left hand know what your right hand does. What, it, what, it, what that means is you give in such a way or you serve. Giving and in, in serving could be the same. You give or serve in a sense because you don't care who knows or who sees in fact it'd be better if nobody knows that's the best way because you know you're doing it for God and I know I'm doing it for God God is watching us we could serve God in this church for the love of Jesus because of his love and sacrifice for us that compels us to serve for God's glory that's radical uh, a pastor I know came out of his church, pretty big church, and everybody had gone, and there was a lady he didn't know that had a flat tire right in front of the church. And so he came out and said, did you have anybody to help you? She said, no. And so he proceeded to change her flat tire, and after that, she drove off. And later he told me, he says, I was so tempted to tell her, you see that church? I'm the pastor right there. And, but he didn't. And I applauded him. And I was thinking back to this because if he had, he would have gotten his reward from that lady. Well, aren't you a great person? But instead, he knew that, you know what? This lady was put here for me. I'm to serve her. And I don't care if she knows that I'm the pastor of that church or not. I could be the pastor, the janitor. I could be a banker or a baker, a candlestick maker. I'm here to help this woman, and God has put me here right now. And I believe when he gets to heaven, God is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You just shouldn't have told Knox. Now he told everybody. But I'm not telling you who it is. Let us serve God in this church, not because people are watching, but because God is, and he's pleased with his children. And if you have children, aren't you proud when they do the right thing. When Deborah and I hear little Knox, or little Hannah J say, thank you or please, we're going, oh, please let them keep saying that to other people. Aren't, you are so glad when your children do something and you know they're doing the right thing that you've taught them. And it brings such a joy to your heart. That's what our God in heaven, when he sees us serving him for, because we love him, that brings glory to him, and he's pleased with it. John LaRue, who went down to 
Bay St. Louis right after uh, Hurricane Katrina. He, he preached here a few times. His, his uh, aunt and uncle died down in Bay St. Louis. But he, he used to work up an independent Presbyterian church. And they, they had a saying, he said, his pastor had a saying that he wanted the staff to be ice chest carriers. I said, what do you mean ice chest carriers? And uh, I think he preached one time because Deborah remembers this. He would say that whenever we had a picnic or, or whenever we had a meeting outside, we'd have to bring the ice in these big chests. And because Memphis is hot as the Dickens, as you know, just like it is here most of the year, he said he didn't care who brought the ice, but he just wanted them to bring it because the people needed it. And he said, don't grumble. Just pick up the ice chest and then bring it because we need it. And that's the sense what God wants us to do. Pick up the ice chest, whatever God has given you to do for his glory, and bring it. Which brings us to, by, by the way, I'm, I'm not going to get into this tonight. Maybe Davis can preach on it because I, I think he'd do a better job than, you know. But the Bible does talk about rewards in heaven. Y'all, y'all realize that, don't you? Uh, in, in Matthew six nineteen through 21, I'm not preaching on it tonight, but it, it talks about don't lay up for yourself treasures here on this earth because they're going to be stolen, they're going to fade away, they're going to rust. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it does talk about rewards. There are rewards and treasures in heaven for us. Don't ever think when you do something and nobody sees it, and you say, what good was that? Because if you did it for Jesus Christ, you did it for God, God sees it. And God is pleased. I don't know how it's going to shake out, but there's going to be a reward for you. And this is what these is basically all about. God is saying, I want to reward you because any reward that you would get here on this earth for whatever you do is going to pale to the reward I'll give you in heaven. I'm telling you. And I believe it. Which brings us to prayer, verses 5 through 15. And I'm not going to read or go into the Lord's Prayer. Um, I would say that we need to get, um, uh, oh, oh, Campus Crusade guy here who was a deacon and he's gone planted church. Andrew Harwell. Andrew Harwell does a great sermon on the Lord's Prayer. We ought to get him back here just for that. But, I remember meeting a guy once in a meeting. It was a religious meeting and talking to him the first time. And I'm going, okay, this good guy. We, we had something in common. And, and then he was called upon to pray. And then there was a dramatic change in his voice. And he started using words that he hadn't used a few minutes ago talking with me. In a very dramatic fashion, he addressed God in front of a lot of people. And I was kind of going, that's not how you talk to me. You know, and, you know, that's what, in a sense, what God is, to Jesus Christ, is saying here. He says, when you pray, if you're praying for people, how they hear you, the words that you say, if you think that brings glory to me, think again. Now, I'm not saying don't. You know what, you hear what I'm saying, right? I'm saying this to me. God is more interested in our heart. He's more interested in our love for him. 
He does want us to glorify him. But Jesus is saying that when you pray, pray to him. Don't pray for the other people that are listening. If other people listen, that's okay. But he really wants us to pray in secret. But he says that. Truly I say to you, you received your reward. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room. Shut the door. Pray for your father who is in secret. That, that word room is like closet. Go away with only you and God and start praying. In, in Luke 18, he has a parable on two, two parables. And the first parable is on the persistent widow who, if you remember it, he hounds this judge, hounds this judge, hounds this judge. And the judge finally says, I don't fear God, I don't fear man, but because this lady is driving me crazy, I'm going to give her what she wants. And Luke 18, 1 says, This parable was teaching Christians to always pray and not become weary and discouraged, thinking God's not listening and didn't want us to pray. God wants us to pray. But he wants us to pray and be intimate with him and say, God, this is between you and me. Pray. Pray to me. That's what God's saying. And get away. Because if you're not praying and if I, not spared, is not praying by myself with God, I'm probably not going to do a good job praying with you guys in public. Then later it talks about the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. They go up to the temple to pray. The Pharisee says, gee, God, aren't you lucky to have me on your team? You know, I I tithe, I I fast, uh, I come here, and and, uh, basically I'm such a great guy, and I could be like this crazy tax collector over here who's praying to you. I'm sure you're not listening to him. And the tax collector is over there beating his breast, not even willing to look at God, and he's praying for God's mercy and grace because he knows he's a sinner, and he's got nothing to offer God. God can offer him salvation. One wanted to be seen and heard by the right people. He wanted to be seen and get his praise. The tax collector was ignored Maybe he didn't even believe God would hear him. Yet Jesus says he went home in a right judicial standing with God. And righteousness, whenever you read about righteousness in the New Testament, it's talking, it's a judicial term. It means not guilty. The court finds you not guilty, and you can never be found guilty again. It is not guilty before the judge. And our righteousness is being found not guilty as we stand before God on judgment day or the day we face him when we pass from this world into the next. And we stand before God and Jesus Christ stands in front of us and says, I paid for all his sins. My life, my death, my resurrection, I paid for his sin. I paid for her sin. So God, when you see them, You see me. And God says, perfect, holy, come on in. And we see the Lord's prayer 
we again I'm not going to go into it with the few minutes that we have left but it's petition and again this prayer is personal and intimate we pray it every Sunday but I hope when you pray it you're being it's you and God between God and Christian very humbling very awe-inspiring this last week the senior adults saw some photos of the universe uh, Edwin Vaughn, Vaughn, Edwin Vaughn from French Camp showed us all these telescope photos taken by Hubble and others. And one, he said, it was blown up and Hubble had taken it. It was far into outer space. And there was this little bitty speck. He had to point to it. He says, that's us. That's us. And it was blown up. And, and uh, he was just showing. We walked out of there. I did. And those that were there was just like, oh, my goodness. The universe is so huge, and God has made it all. And we're so small, and I, I forget who I was talking with as I was walking down the hallway, um, and we were saying, we both had seen it, and, we said, and we're walking, and we're even smaller than the, the earth. It's, it's incredible. God has made it all, but he still sees us, and he still wants to have a relationship with us. And he wants to be intimate with us. And that's really what prayer about is about being intimate with God. God answers and rewards our prayers when we seek his glory, not ours. And by the way, hey, we have seen God answering prayers. You probably don't know. But we praying about people. I'll just say it right now. I don't know who's watching. But we have some people that have had cancer that we've been praying for. God's been listening to our prayers and he's been answering them he has been people God hears our prayers and he answers them keep praying which brings us to fasting verses 16 through 18 and when you fast do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they are disfiguring their faces that they are fasting that may be seen by others fasting was a very prominent element in the Jewish life it's both a statutory law and special times like the Day of Atonement. If you go back to Numbers 29.7 and Zechariah 7.3, you, you see it. And these, some of these Pharisees were fasting twice a week. But evidently, what was going on the, when they were fasting, their hair was messed up. They weren't taking care of themselves. Some of them were putting on smut or soot or something so that people would see them. The Greek word for disfiguring your face was more of, of a thera- theor- theory, wait. theatrical. Thank you. That's why you sit up close. Theatrical. It was to hide your face. They were hiding their face. And what they were basically doing, they weren't hiding their face. They were revealing their hearts by saying, you know what? I'm fasting, and what a good person I am. And I want you to know that. And God is saying, when you fast, wash your face. Comb your hair. Get your clothes right. Because this is between me and you. Fasting, fasting was an outward expression of an inward sorrow. Our inward sorrow is that we're sinners. And that we've disobeyed God. And we're sorry for that. And we want to repent of that. That was the reason 
initially for fasting. It was to focus, focus who we are thinking about, how we've offended the holy living God, and that our only hope in forgiveness was in the gospel in Jesus Christ. And we are to have joy in that because we, we can't eat. It was when our stomach started growling was to remind us our sins are forgiven. Our Savior has died on the cross for us. Praise the Lord. And he says, I'm going to use that in a way I can't explain in answering prayers and then changing hearts and changing nations and towns. I'm going to use that, he says. Fasting is also a form of self-denial for the sake of following Jesus Christ. Davis focused on that and talked about that this morning. This is from Mark eight thirty four, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his angels. Anointing, as he says, was a sign of joy. And he said, when you go out, wash your face, but anoint your head. From Psalm 23, we are anointed as we walk through the valley of shadow of death. You anoint us, God. And Samuel, when he goes to anoint the new king of Israel, King David, He's looking at him, and he's looking at the oldest. He said, well, surely this is 1 Samuel 16. He says, well, surely this is the new king. Look at him. He looks the part. And God tells him, do not look at his appearance or his own height or statue because I rejected him. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He's, he looks at our hearts, and he's going to anoint us with gladness and joy because we have trusted in him. And when we fast, we can focus on that. And when we pray, and when we give, and when we serve, our focus is on God. He sees us. He loves us. And he's going to reward us. And guess what? We're going to blow it. Because we're sinners. And I am going to really blow it because I'm a bigger sinner than y'all. But I'm also going to focus on that God is a forgiving God. And a loving God. And he loves us. And when we do things for him, he rewards us. Pray with me. Father, I I thank you for my friends here. I I know that uh, we together stand in love for you. Lord, I I pray that we become a more praying church and that I would become more of a praying pastor. I would be more intimate with you in my time alone. Father, my, my giving and serving, Father, help me not to be so concerned about what others think, but what you think. And Father, help me to realize again 
how much you put up with me. And when I see my sin and I get discouraged, Father, may I see the cross which is bigger, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ who poured out his blood in his broken body for us. Lord, we pray that our world would see this and may we bring great joy to your heart. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.